This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Do Not Listen to This Podcast, Do Not Listen to This Conversation Series, the fourth. We are half a third of the way through the year, so you can actually balance it out between me talking, someone else talking, you don't have to get droned to death with me bombing you with my voice every single week. We have another fantastic guest this weekend. I kind of gassed him up last weekend. You'll interview him in a second. But again, welcome, everybody. Can you dig it? I can. Here we go. And I'm really pumped about this week because we have a person who is a very special guest to me. A lot of you are going to be meeting him for the first time. Very excited about that. And it's someone who I have known for probably like I'm thinking about the length of time I've known a lot of my guests. I've only known uh, Taylor and Natter for a couple of years. I've known Sam since I was young. And I've known this guest today, my guest today, Pete Stamatis, since I was really young. And we'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But uh, Pete, brother, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, man. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Sam. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, but yeah, uh, as you mentioned, we, we've known each other for a long time. I think we were in second grade together and uh, went to Ohio State, same high school and everything, and uh, yeah, currently working uh, for the big three up in Detroit, Michigan. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And driving, driving America, driving America up in the Detroit, in the Detroit area up there. That's right. So we were just, it's funny, we were just talking about this unintentionally because um one of our friends, or I, I don't know, I don't, not a friend, a colleague that we knew growing up, that Pete knew better than I did, but we knew each other as well, um, just got engaged apparently, what was it, yesterday you were talking? Uh, I think it might have been today, actually. Today? Oh, my God. So, like, really recently. So, it, it's, it's crazy because, you know, Pete and I, I think you said second grade. We've known each other longer than that because I was going to open with this, with this basically by saying, like our moms were doing field day together, like in kindergarten. So like we've known each other for a long time, like, like probably six years old, I would imagine. So probably since the first quartile of both of our lives, we have, we have been aware of each other's existence, which is crazy. So I was going to say, I don't know if it's been, if it's been that long, it might have to double check and, you know, fact check my, my field day pictures that I have in my yearbooks, I guess, but I, it's been, it's been a long time, a long time. Oh yeah, well, that's for sure. And sure. We could go back and, and, really set a date talking about the teachers and stuff we had but yeah in any case, it was shortly after 9-11 probably i was gonna say it probably was not not much longer after that the first person i met i remember i went to a 
um, a Christian school from preschool somewhere in somewhere else, like around uh, the Northeast Ohio area, obviously somewhere around there. I forget which, which school it was. I don't even know if it's still around. Um, and then I moved and we went to public school in kindergarten. I cried on the way in and the way out the whole time. My mom had like smacked the shit up me upside the head and had me pay attention or whatever. But uh, that was where I met you, which is awesome. And the reason why I wanted to come have you on among many that I wanted to have you come on and wanted to talk today about a lot of stuff. And I think it's just, it's for a couple of reasons. One, we've known each other for a really long time, which I think is very cool and interesting because I think, you know, I have basically kept relationships with very few people as most do from, you know, the early days of their lives. And we have stayed in pretty good contact. We know we both, you know, enjoy each other. At least I think you enjoy my company. I enjoy yours. And, um, you know, sometimes, yeah. So um, it'll be, um, so that is, that is interesting. And so it was, it's funny because we both had two different, very different, I would say, growing up experiences with kind of the people we hung out with for the most part, the people we hung out with, the activities we did, you went more towards the academic side because you're much smarter than I am. I went towards the more athletic side because I was slightly more athletic than the average. I don't even know if the average high school student is average. Like I wasn't very good at it, but I just went down that way anyway. Um, and, but we still, whenever we connected, it was mostly during our high school English classes because I was not, again, was not, you know, as attuned to the math and science as you were back in, back in the high school days. So you did all the AP science, uh, biology, chemistry. I'm sure, I'm sure all those other classes, calculus, I'm pretty sure. I basically just did all the writing classes and I flunked a push when I took it. I got a one in the AP exam when I took, or I didn't even take the AP exam because our teacher was so shitty, but um, you know, we just kind of, we can talk about that too. But um, the, the reason that I find it so interesting was because Usually when people kind of start out doing that early on in their lives, they become friends, they do all these other things, and yet their, their paths diverge as much as, quote unquote, they theoretically do. We still kind of found ourselves coming back and, you know, whenever we would talk throughout high school or whatever, it was like we just kind of leveled out immediately and we just kind of knew what was going on. And I think that's because, and we talked about this, we talked about this over FaceTime before, a lot of times we've, we've done these conversations before about our value sets and kind of the things that we value in between. And like, what is your, what is your opinion on, we'll get into the first question in a second, but what is your kind of, do you think that's what it is? Like we just kind of have the same frame of mind mentality around life and either, either, you know, we did two different majors in, in college. We hung around with two different groups of people. We did a lot of different types of activities, but yet we're still here and we're still, we're talking from the other side of the country. Like I've said, I'm streaming live from Austin. You're from Detroit. We both are from Cleveland, but we grew up in just totally different environments. So do you think it is that one factor or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think that definitely has something to do with it. Um, I know your family, uh, from what I knew, and my family were pretty similar in a lot of ways. So it's kind of natural that even though we might have gotten involved in different things, taken different career paths, gone to different states, it makes sense that we kind of never got too far away from it because at the end of the day, we're both kind of going back to the same thing. And I think, too, it helps uh, – both of us are a little more social people. So we were both willing to continue on uh, the friendship. I mean, I know a lot of people kind of stop talking to people if they don't see them frequently. So we kind of just stayed in touch after high school. And I think it's probably just we're similar people. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say um, for the viewing audience, Pete's mother is one of the nicest women I've ever met in my entire life, by the way. So I, I like, it, it's kind of, you know, hard coming. It's, you know, so I remember just all, you know, all throughout my entire life, no matter where I was, if I was like, I remember um, that high school uh, history teacher who I was referencing earlier, who we both 
at least I think you do not care for him particularly much. I do not. But I, um, I was going to say, um, you know, I remember he was he got invited to the locker room before a football game because I don't know if you knew this about the football team. We would have these things where some of the seniors on the team would they would nominate a teacher to go throughout the whole pregame experience. Like they would have dinner with us. They would be in the locker room with us pregame warm up like they'd have field passes every. OK, so like, yeah, so that was a, like um, we had a lot of a lot of really good teachers do it. And I remember when I, I took, so I, we took the class our sophomore year of high school. That was when the, I think that was our first AP class we were eligible for, correct? And the other one we could take that early. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, cause we went in, we did that one. I like history. You like history. I find it very interesting. And so I took it and I was, you know, we didn't have, the teacher was kind of all over the place and he was kind of like a, an elitist and teachers union guy. And I was like, Bleh. like, I don't really, I remember Actually, we do you remember we had to read, I think, two books before we walked in. And one of them was I think this is actually this is actually a, a funny story. So I remember you texted me immediately after I did this because um, I did the thing that I usually do with a lot of things. I procrastinated. I don't do it as much now, thankfully. But I was supposed to read a couple of the books in that we were supposed to. And one of them was the uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I remember I was like, you know, okay, I'd heard about him, but I'd never really you know, mentioned anything about him. And so I was like, fuck, I have to do this, this book report. I have to do this essay in like, you know, an hour and I don't really know what to do. And I looked up a bunch of things, kind of, you know, the summary of the book, uh, like I looked at Wikipedia page probably. And I just, you know, skimmed through whatever he had to do. And I said, kind of a, because I know a lot of people, and this was before a lot of the stuff with, you know, the, uh, police brutality movement and Black Lives Matter and a lot of stuff was going on. But I said a very countercultural narrative even then before about Malcolm X. And I said that, you know, I was like, this guy's kind of aggressive and, and yelly and all this stuff. And I don't know much about Malcolm X. So I mean, maybe I'm wrong or whatever. But I remember people freaked out inside of that inside of that blog post because we had it in like an internal school hosting forum where people could like comment on it was like a Reddit thread almost like people could almost like I comment on it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't know if it's coming back to you now. And I said something that was countercultural because Malcolm X is viewed as this, this great, this great, you know, kind of, you know, civil rights figure and everything. And he very well would be, I don't know, actually. But I kind of, at first glance, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of not vibing with this guy very much. And I could be wrong. But I remember when I put that in there, I just got blamed for it from several very, very people who were very, very mad that I would ever say something not in immediately, you know, great about Malcolm X. And I remember you texting me after and you said, I thought that was fucking awesome. You didn't, you don't, you don't swear as much as I do. So that was, that was, that was great. But he's like, I, I watch people lose their minds over that stuff. Do you, do you remember that? I think that's so funny. I, it just jogged my memory right now. I don't remember specifically your comments, but I do remember, uh, first of all, that was the first time we ever had summer homework. Um, yes. And that yes. was like a weird kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember it really got some people seeing. There's a couple books in particular. Um, I think the other one was Lies My Teacher Told Me. Uh, mm -hmm. And both of those had a lot more participation from the class because yeah. it got pretty political quickly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't say I remember the, the comment that you said right off the bat, but um, I do remember that summer going in and checking because it actually became, like you said, like Reddit, where mm -hmm. it was like, I kind of just want to see like the fights in the comment section. Now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and this was, it's weird because thinking about it now, that was, I think 2013, 2014, that was, this was pre Trump. This was pre everything before everything got crazy. And so 
it was, you know, kind of that stuff under the surface. And I was like, woof, like, this is kind of like the first thing I've ever, you know, noticed something that I've like written being like, I don't know, inflammatory in some way or whatever. But, you know, I remember. So anyway, that teacher who we, who hosted the class, he came, I, I, had, I had not interacted with him for another two years because you did academic challenge, which is basically, I, I believe like a debate team, correct? Like you kind of would go and talk about different things or whatever. More like a trivia thing. Like, a okay. Bar okay. Yeah. So I, again, I know nothing about anything. So I, 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 you would stay involved, involved with this individual. I had not. And so he got invited into the locker room my senior year. And I, you remember, you'll remember this. So we had this thing on our football team where we would grow out beards and we wouldn't shave and everything else. So if this was in like September, October, so I, my beard had been going for probably about five months without it being manicured properly. And it was, you know, it was just kind of like, and so I, and I had like eye black under my shit. I sweat like a, like just a motherfucker anyway. So I was just like, you know, this, my, I, I actually evolved into my true self. Like I was truly a Neanderthal in, in that moment of my life. I was like, you know, long hair, sweating all over the place, like war paint everywhere, like pounding my chest in the locker room. And I remember growing into, uh, he had, I, he had government, uh, our government class we had to take, you know, mandatory government class. He had to take that later that year before he, he took like his mental health vacation or whatever the fuck that he did. So he, um, you know, so he did it and he's like, you know, Sam, you kind of, you know, changed up and did, you know, whatever and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, well, I, I, I don't, I guess like, I, I don't know. So it was, it was, it was so weird. And I remember it was just kind of, and I don't really know even know where I was going with that, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, we had a lot of things, you know, in common, whether that would be, you know, kind of, even though we went to, I went to that wild, crazy place and you stayed in your normal refined model citizen of society type of thing. It was, you know, it's, and we saw, you know, we interacted with the same people. It's like, we came to the same convergence in the same place. And I, I always found that very, very interesting. So it's, I, I just kind of went off on a tangent with those type of things. But that was, that was, that was crazy. That's, it's kind of crazy how that thing works out, I think. Yeah. I, I actually got to say, I, I didn't dislike him as a person. I thought his, his teaching styles were definitely unorthodox. Right. Um, he didn't care to teach to the test that we were taking, but. I, I think he was a, a decent guy. Mm -hmm. um, I did like him as a person. Um, yeah. Because yeah, he did uh, he, he did his best to try to help some of us uh, through Euro because some of us ended up taking European history as well. And mm -hmm. he did he did what he could there. Yeah, he did. He did what he could. I, I did not take that class because I refused to take it after um, my, my first experience then. But anyway, so um, I remember now just kind of going back to the crux of the conversation. I wanted to talk with you about values. And I remember that was going to be the thing that I, you know, I wanted to talk with someone who I knew had both two, both a firm set of values that they had followed pretty consistently throughout their entire life, which you and your family clearly have. I mean, your brothers, you and your brothers all look the same, like exactly like you guys are basically like test tube babies or robots or, or something like that, that. You guys have like a bunch of other things together. But um, so someone who really believed in what they were espousing and someone who had them followed them practicing consistently over time. And I have thought about this a lot because I don't know if your dad or your parents anyway, but it was my dad, especially that was like growing up, you know, very emphatic on like your values are everything values, 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 just pounding it into the head. So it's kind of a two prong question. So was that your, was that as stressed in your family growing up as you were growing up? And two, if they were, where do you think those values come from? Like, like, what do you think? allows you to espouse them in the current time, both from when your parents emphasize it, if they did, or with you carrying it out in your adult life now? Yeah, I think uh, my parents definitely 
made it clear that that kind of thing was important. Um, I don't remember the actual phrase values coming up a lot or principles or things like that, but mm -hmm. it was, it was uh, present in everything that we were doing and expected to do and things like that. And mm -hmm. my dad, of course, was, uh, you know, leader of the family, like most families have. Um, yep. And obviously he was, you know, the main driving force and my mom was right alongside um, making sure that we did things the right way. Um, and yeah, I, I would absolutely say family is number one. I think though too, that it's not necessarily like a, a made up set of rules that the Stamatis family had or the lacrosse family had because, sure. you know, my parents didn't invent, um, you know, the moral code and your parents mm -hmm. didn't or anything. I, I think a lot of it comes from religion too. Um, and growing up Greek Orthodox, which mm -hmm. is very similar to Catholicism and everything, except for some of the like specific the holidays, religious the holidays. that, yeah, if, if I went into your podcast, we get filed under, uh, you know, religion and faith or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, on the whole, the values that um, my religion, Catholicism, all those have are pretty similar. Um, so I think it, a lot of it's driven from that as well, because uh, there's a lot of very black and white um, kind of uh, ways that things are portrayed in religion that kind of were the basis for it. And then those are really driven home by my parents. So, yeah, I, I would definitely agree that it was it starts and ends with the family, as far as I can tell. Yeah, and I think the other – are you getting an echo back there? I am not, no. Oh, I am, so maybe I don't know. Maybe it's uh, my Zoom, but I don't know. That's weird. Um, I think that – yeah, and I was going to say, too, on your end, to respond to that, I, I think, you know, because we see a lot of people, you know, we you know, a lot of people say that, you know, oh, we, I'm, we hear it all the time, like on dating app profiles and on, like, you know, Instagram bios. It's like, you know, faith, family, you know, whatever. And I think that a lot of people say, and I, I, I am not, you know, dumping on you for this. I, I do think that you guys preach it. And I, but I, my problem is that a lot of people say that they do, but they actually don't. It's kind of almost, it's not a hypocritical thing. I don't think that they're in, at least intentionally, excuse me, hypocritical. But if, do you think it's possible to draw, I think it is possible to draw value from other sources. And what do you think those are for the people that don't really that may say it and not mean it, or just kind of casually disregard, like, you know, I'm just going to go out and totally flower child this shit and go like, you know, I'm just going to go, you know, live in a van down by the river, like the Matt Foley thing and do, do whatever and derive meaning from everything else. So do you think it's, where do you think people drive value from if it's not from those sources? Because I think that would be a very foreign discussion for you and I to try to do it at the same time. Uh, so I, I kind of understand what you're saying. Um, and I think a lot of people, may not realize where they're taking their values from. Um, I know, especially recently, a lot of guys like Jordan Peterson and other mm -hmm. sort of philosophers, um, modern philosophers are kind of um, becoming very prevalent. So a lot of people, you know, they may not be religious, maybe their family wasn't, you know, very stable, but they'll say, well, this is kind of what I believe. These are my values. And they'll kind of take it from, like I said, people like Jordan Peterson or whatever can, mm -hmm. I, I use him because I know he's a fairly common personality and I know you're familiar with him as well. Yep. He says a lot of things that people can see and understand and 
follow easily, you know, take care of yourself, clean your room, things like that. Um, mm. And I think it's easy to look at that and say, well, that's, you know, that's, that's his values. And I like that. And it's not associated with religion. It's not, you know, from my family, whatever. But um, I think uh, what people may not realize is a lot of those are religious values. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not intending to co-opt every good value as a Christian value and say, well, that's where it all comes from. But yeah, that's the basis for a lot of it. I mean, you know, again, I don't want to start quoting scripture or anything like that to explain yeah, where sure. all this stuff comes from, but it's easy enough to see that just like I said, my parents didn't create the moral code, Jordan Peterson, all those other guys didn't create either. So mm -hmm. to be honest, I think it, it is possible to draw values from other sources, but they're not really from other sources, if that makes right. sense. They're, yeah. They're yeah. From something that's been around for thousands of years. That is, that is actually such an interesting point. I was thinking about this, about this the other day, and I was actually having a conversation with a good friend um, on Saturday about this because, and I was talking more specifically towards men in this scenario, because we got on the topic of, you know, American masculinity, especially in young people. And, and this girl's a woman, by the, or this girl's a woman. Um, th this person is a woman, by the way. So, I mean, it was kind of coming from, and she's, uh, she is a little bit older than I am, but she's in her mid late twenties. She's a teacher. She kind of does all these other things. She has a lot of young boy students. And I would be very curious to get your opinion off of, because it's funny you went right to the Jordan Peterson example, because he's kind of the low hanging fruit that everyone likes to pick like him, Jocko Willink, David Goggins, you know, people like that, that are, you know, the, the typical male, you know, Instagram, social media people. So do you think, and I, I don't actually know how I want to phrase this question, but so my understanding of that is that it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, do I think that it's, it's awesome that people like Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willink and David Goggins exist? I do. I think that's an amazing thing that they're going out and doing what they're doing and being very, and I think you would agree with us that they're all very, very positive influences in the vast aggregate of people. Like they are doing the right, I mean, you might not like the style of some of them, but I mean, they're obviously doing, you know, the aggregate of comes out, like Jordan is kind of the preachy a little bit times, you know, emotional psychology professor. Jocko's the Navy SEAL. Goggins is the get in your face and yell at you and tell you to man the fuck up guy. So it's, it's whoever else. But in terms of masculinity and how this fits into male values, the opposite side of that is that it's the question I phrased to my friend uh, this weekend, actually. It's, I say all the time, you know, it's like, I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. You know, how many times have you heard someone say, you know, oh, Jordan Peterson taught me this. Mark Manson taught me this. Uh, ben Shapiro taught me this. Dave Rubin taught me this. Versus how many times have you heard um, a guy especially say, my father taught me this. My grandpa taught me this. My uncle taught me this. My older brother taught me this. So again, do I think it's good that there are people like that in the world that are affecting change, especially male role models in popular culture? I do. I think it's a great thing. But on the other side, I think they're they're there for a reason, I think, because if 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 they were not there, that would probably mean it would get supplanted somewhere else. So in terms of masculine role models, I do believe in value systems. I believe that there is a massive lack on that on the non famous, you know, or whatever you want to call it, the normal, the quote unquote normal people level versus and people are kind of starving for that. So they're looking to people like Jordan Peterson and Jocko and all these guys that are just out here killing it. And being the role model. So I think there is a lack of that, especially for men out there. So I'd be curious to get your take on that. 
yeah, it's, it's actually kind of interesting that you mentioned that because I had never really thought about it. But I guess when I start to consider what I quote, um, I definitely quote my dad and grandpa a lot more than I ever have right. uh, Jocko or uh, Jordan Peterson or any of those guys. And mm-hmm. and I think that those guys are good, like you said, to fill a gap. Um, like you said, my I focus a lot on academics and obviously guys like Jocko and David Goggins are um, they, they preach both sides, you know, mental sharpness as well as yep. physical yeah. abilities. Um, so it's definitely good that you can go out and find a mentor for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's definitely been a uh, kind of a shift towards trying to find these heroes, so to speak. Um, and honestly, not all of them are good either. I mean, you look at some of the other people that are very highly regarded by people, especially in our generation, like to the Wolf of Wall Street. I think every kid yeah. who was in high school or college between 20, whenever the movie came out, 2015. This is, this is a great example that, that you're saying right now, because this was, this came out our sophomore year of high school, I remember, and the world just exploded with all. I remember that I, I said from the moment I saw the trailer and I saw Leonardo DiCaprio in the suits with the hair, with the money, with Margot Robbie. I'm like, and I said, like, I did not think, like, I knew from the second I saw it, I'm like, this movie's going to change the world. It's going to change the world. It's going to change the way. Probably the the world. First, actually, but what, what, what was that? I say you probably noticed Margot Robbie first, but. Oh, of course. In that movie? Dude, come on now. Come on now. For sure. Absolutely. No, I said this is going to change everything. So continue. I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, we're at a point now where if you want a role model for anything, uh, good or bad, there's a cultural figure that you can just point to and say, that's, you know, my, that that's who I'm modeling my life after. That's, like you said, where I'm getting my values from. But that was all I was really going to say on that. But I think uh, there definitely has been kind of a, a dip in um, family role models. It seems. Yeah, it's it's so again, I think it's it's an interesting thing to think about, because, I mean, you don't want to skew too far in the direction. I think I think either way, maybe maybe towards I mean, you want to lean more into your family. You do into, you know, the imaginary picture you have in your head of even though I did get a picture of Jordan Peterson, like the picture of Jordan Peterson, like your interaction with him or whatever, like he's not your dad. He's not your grandpa. He's not, you know, whoever is going to be that, that for you, even though how much you, you want it to be, which is, is very interesting. So I think, you know, the role models disseminating your values down onto you is, is such an important thing. And they don't have to be masculine role models. They could be your grandma, your mom, like both of mine, you know, I, that's definitely the same in my case, even though I definitely, I'm a man, I listen to, you know, take men's opinions probably more seriously because they can be more applicable than me than, you know, women can, I think in a lot of areas. And so what I would say with that is kind of the, whether people derive them from, you know, and we can maybe dig into the religion point later, because I think that's always an interesting thing to bring up. But, you know, when people don't, it's so common, I think, from people to derive their values from not those sources, not their religion, not their family, not even like the, the people who are the few people who are actually doing the good stuff, like, you know, Jordan Peterson or Jocko Willink or, or all those people, they're kind of getting caught up into something else. Like they're, 
<clears throat> like the, the Gary V's and Grant Cardone's and, you know, the people like that, even to Jordan Belfort to a degree, although I think Belfort's probably better than a lot of them in some cases, at least I've watched some of my videos and not about a viscerally awful reaction to watching some of them. Um, so why it's like, you know, people are kind of going in a lot of different directions. It's kind of where they dig value out from. They go to TikTok or Twitter, or, you know, they go to, you know, makeup influencers, whatever the fuck they do. So why in the end, that seems like the bad, the mainstream opinion for people our age in their, in their twenties, trying to make their way in the world. So why I would say, and it's easier to do that because it's in your face all the time. It's expedient to do. It's like, you know, this is flashy. This is money. This is this, this is hot women, cars, you know, whatever, you know, whatever flex you want to have with, with yourself. Um, you know, so why I would ask, why do you think we're still here? Like, why are we on this Island still? Like, why haven't we abandoned that or you in this specific case? Why do you feel like you have not abandoned ship on the old values when there are so many more, you know, strobe lights of other shit to kind of get right in front of you? And that probably in the mainstream culture would be, quote unquote, better for you in terms of social standing among people our age. Uh, I guess the short answer of it and something that I've kind of said before in some other contexts is the way I kind of see things, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Um, just because something's popular or, um, you know, kind of going along with the crowd doesn't mean it's right. And I know that's a cliche and everyone kind of no. says that, no. um, you know, it's been hanging up in every classroom, at least uh, the ones that we were in. The cars in, in the locks and the caves of the, of, of the, of the Neanderthals that came before us. Yeah. Yep, in the locker room of uh, the football teams. <laughs> that, oh, for sure. Um, I, I, you already know, absolutely. But um, I guess, you know, I'm kind of going back to religion. I don't mean to keep hammering that point, but, um, you know, as a Christian, you're expected to behave a certain way, and uh, there's not a whole lot of give in that. And even though a lot of churches now have kind of become watered down and they don't stick as closely to what the church that you know, our grandparents would have gone to, or even our parents, um, you know, a lot of things are still pretty black and white, even if uh, society kind of tries to make them not look that way. And it's, I don't know, I guess at some point uh, along the line, I'd say mine and your values probably solidified to the point where we just don't really feel right if we're not following them anymore. Sure. Um, so even though there might be a, an, something that could give us a leg up or something uh at the end of the day it's a little easier on your conscience to do things the way that we see fit and and i don't mean to pretend like i'm making a bunch of extremely heavy moral decisions I, i'm not saying no, it's awesome the difference between making a billion dollars and you know evicting widows and orphans you know there's not a whole lot of uh major you know damaging decisions that I'm making, but even something as simple, like you were saying, uh, you know, in football season, you grow out the beard, grow out your hair, things like that. Um, you know, something that was always big in my family growing up, uh, as far as values go was discipline, you know, and that was even as basic as, you know, hygiene, you know, you, you stay clean, you, you got to shave yeah. things like that. Um, I know that like, if I'm, being clean, um, you know, and shaving, doing that kind of stuff, just taking care of myself. That's, that's a value to me, right? That's mm -hmm. discipline. So 
just the fact that, you know, I wake up in the morning, shave, shower, even though it'd be easier, you know, and yeah, I could save time by not doing that stuff. I wouldn't be able to, I, I wouldn't be functioning as well. You know, it, it wouldn't be sitting right with me if I were to compromise even a value like that. So mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes we look at values as, you know, some great big decisions that, we, that we're supposed to be making. And, you know, we look at people like Lincoln or Kennedy and things like that. But yep. at the end of the day, values aren't necessarily the biggest decisions you're ever making. I mean, it, how you live right now, you know, whether your room is messy or things like that, it, it, values go a lot deeper than that, I think. And they go a lot shallower too. You know, not every, I said, not every value is going to be a make or break for your life. But at the end of the day, you know, you kind of do something for a long time and it ends up sticking with you. So you don't really turn your back on that stuff as easily. Yeah. And I think you, you make an interesting point there because it's one thing to do like the thing where you see the, the laminated poster on your local insurance company of like the, the, the blanket corporate statement of something where it's like, you know, you're staring out into a field of wheat and you like among the, the tips of the spears of the wheat, they're like, you know, you know, take responsibility for, you know, whatever for your life, like whatever. And so it, it, it's one thing to do those, those kind of moralistic platitudes of hanging those one things up, but you make a very excellent point in saying that, values are not just they're not just the statements like you can hang the shit up on the wall all you want but at the end of the day it's going to be the behavior that reinforces them and the habitual reinforcement and the consistency over time of those values kind of alluding in a sense to our relationship and why it's lasted so long it's been consistently similar in that regard even though we've changed for a while that really makes a difference and i think that's where i think a lot of people get lost in the spectrum of values is that they they say that they value things but they don't kind of do the, the, they don't lay the brick underneath to support what is going to be on the wall of the insurance company in the laminate. Uh, yeah, and I 100% agree with that. And even go a step further and say, that's where I think a lot of uh, values have been kind of lost by most people. And that's why the people like Jocko and Jordan Peterson and that are all in such high demand now, because I don't think a lot of people saw you know, and not to be overly Puritan, but how quickly society was going to sort of fall off into, you know, degeneracy yeah. um, is something that we see all the time now. So, you know, I, I know for a lot of people, it was kind of a surprise to, you know, you turn on the TV now and it's been discussed ad nauseum, you know, the things you can see on TV now and hearing songs you wouldn't have ever heard 50 years ago, six years ago. Yeah. But when, uh, you have a whole generation of people or even several generations that never really had that base or that foundation of their values so that when the time came to make the critical decisions, there was never a decision to be made because it was already known what they were going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of people who don't have that base and they can be, you know, subjected to a nonstop assault on, what their parents' values were, their grandparents' values, um, you can really see how quickly people can start to fall away. And then as a result, maybe start coming back around later and start looking for those Jordan Peterson or Jocko types to mm -hmm. reinforce what they inherently know to be true, but kind of strayed from, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is a big 
kind of a follow-up to that. And I would like, do you have a hypothesis of what caused that? Like, because I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, I, I know it's true because I mean, you have grandparents, I have grandparents and we both have sets of parents. And this was not, I mean, you know, you had some people pushing the envelope, but I mean, you got people like now that, you know, where, you know, I'm like, you know, you, you turn on euphoria and you got like, you know, 50, 15 year olds fucking each other all the time. So, I mean, it's just, it's just got, it's very, very bizarre how, you know, how far it's, it, it's, you know, been, you know, kind of going in that direction. So do you have like a general hypothesis of what that is or, or what do you think kind of are the, are the factors in that compared to what they were? I, I think probably just the disintegration of a lot of social institutions has, uh, sort of precipitate all that i mean to me and to a lot of other people i think probably the three most important things that are not changing is you know god family country right it's cliche yep. but i mean you look at religion and i we're at an extremely high percentage of the population that's no longer religious um you see people burning the american flag on american streets you know, even more than you do in mm -hmm. foreign countries sometimes. And yep. uh, families are weaker than they've ever been in terms of, you know, uh, a lot of broken houses, uh, things like that. And, you know, without getting too much into the specifics, that, that was the foundation for a lot of years. Yeah. So now when you yeah. look at what are people building off of, well, you know, you have a lot of people who are growing up you know, broken household, they don't see patriotism as anything to be valued, uh, not religious. So what do they have to turn to? And Euphoria. that gap's going to be filled by something. What's that? <laughs> Euphoria. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that usually gets filled up by uh, hedonism or something like that. And it's, it's very common. And I think to an extent that was always there, you know, people are human. They like stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, it seems like it's really accelerated in the last, you know, 30 to 40 years. And I think, too, uh, without having the statistics at hand, I mean, no, go ahead. I'm sure if we had Jamie over here, we could, you know, hey, Jamie. I'm working on getting a Jamie, by the way. That, that, that might, you know, if the things that I'm planning in the next couple of months go well, I will have a Jamie. Like, I, I'm fully convinced that Rogan has him chained to his bedside at all times with a, with a, with a cat of nine tails to whip him into shape whenever he needs to, you know, when, it, when his daughter is asking him some historical reference for her homework, he just whips him up on the side of his bed and says, Jamie, go look that up for my daughter right now. I need to do something else. Um, but that's, um, I think that's probably the most concrete thing that you could point to, to, to show how values have declined is just the, the lack of anything more concrete um that people can kind of follow or be loyal to or believe in because um, it's it's being replaced by something and that something isn't as good as the thing it's replacing so i agree with you i i do and i think this this i don't think this is the same question but i think what do you think the main, like for someone our age who is not deriving their values from the same principles you are, and I think there's a common thread with people like us that kind of think in, in this vein, and there are people that think differently, obviously, but, you know, we love our families. We love, you know, we love God. We love our religion, and whether that be, you know, we are both 
of the Christian faith and you obviously are Orthodox Christian or Orthodox Greek. I am, you know, just non-denominational Christian. Uh, there are a lot of people who do a lot of different things in terms of that nature. And there are, and you know, we love our families. We love our religions. We love America. We love, you know, all of these things which are, we think are, are great. And a lot of people have different opinions. And that's fine. But I think we all kind of align on you and I align on those central themes. And I think that's kind of what has kept our friendship strong. So what do you think is the main catalyst for people our age that kind of abandoned those values that have been held by a lot of people, to your point earlier, a lot of people for a really long time and are just kind of getting tossed over to the wayside now? Do you think that it's because I think it's something to do with social pressure? I think it's basically just kind of the, you know, we, they see euphoria on HBO Max and like, I want some of that. And then if you don't watch, you know, if you're not caught up on the latest, you know, trend or whatever, you kind of are looking to buck the old system because the old system. And I think this is a lot of where, you know, a lot of the liberal conservative dynamic hinges on a lot of like the the traditional, you know, kind of value structures, the new value structures, you know, lean on, you know, the the Bible is the Bible, like America, the Constitution is the Constitution. And there's only. The Constitution is pretty big. Like I have a pocket Constitution in my, in my car. It's a pretty big document that they wrote down. There are only, what, 26 amendments to the Constitution or however many they are. And the first 10 were written in like the first days of the Constitution. So it's like there hasn't really been a lot of revisions to that. There have been no revisions as far as I can tell to the Bible or anything like that or any of really the core things about how families have been iterated, um, you know, America, religion, whatever that religion is, whatever that country is. And so... A lot. I actually heard um, Sam Harris uh, talk about this with Jordan Peterson when Jordan had him on his podcast a couple of days ago, and he approaches it from a very scientific perspective, which I think is a, a decent argument. I don't think it's a, a you know I don't think it wins the argument. I think it's a decent counter argument that he approaches it from a very scientific perspective, and he's like, well, we can't iterate religion, we can't iterate the Constitution, and from a scientific perspective, that does make a little bit of sense because the scientific method is all about experimentation and improving on something and. I think where a lot of people who disagree and diverge from that system go and try something else is because they view it. If not, I mean, there do, I think a lot of people our age are scientists. I, I do not, but I mean, I think they kind of look at it from that lens, like, you know, Oh, it doesn't fit what I like it to. So I want to push against it so hard that I want to change it to some degree. Do you think that's what it is? Or do you think it's something else? I think that, Definitely is a part of it. Um, there's 27 amendments to the Constitution. By 27. Way. I see. You see. This is why. This is why I have you on here. 27 amendments. Thank you. Um, yep. Uh, but yeah, I think you touched on it in your answer, and then you kind of dove into it in a different direction. But yeah, most people just say, you know, we're in the 21st century. It's it's not you know the 1900s anymore. It's not the 50s or whatever. So the the idea is that things change. You know, you don't need to be holding on to a bunch of stuff from, you know, whatever people think it is 70 years ago, 90 years ago, 200 years ago, 2000 years ago, um, in the case of Christianity. Um, so people kind of think that things need to change. And I would actually kind of contest your point about, um, religion not being iterative because I don't believe it is iterative, iterative. Um, but I think that a lot of popular religions now have become that way um so the bible isn't um isn't uh what's it called it's not changing um mm -hmm. but when you look at a lot of churches today especially like the the astrodome sort of ones the joel osteen ones things like oh, that oh yes yeah those are 
taking off in popularity immensely, but in terms of how close they are to the actual religion that were founded, I mean, like the Catholic church was founded by St. Peter um, and the uh, Orthodox church was founded by St. Paul. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, that was the first Pope and the first patriarch of those churches. Now, those guys actually walked with Jesus. And again, I'm saying this from a Christian standpoint because that's what I know about. Um, But you've seen a lot of new churches, new branches of Christianity pop up in the last 40 years, you know, reformed drug addicts or motorcycle gangs or things like that. You know, someone <laughs> finds a church and now they found a church and you look at it. And, and in that way, even within religion, you're seeing some of that iterations. And I personally don't think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, are mm-hmm. you going to stick with the religion that was founded by the guy who knew Jesus personally, or the one that was founded <laughs> right. by the reformed drug act in the eighties? And it's, and not to say that those churches are, bad things but Mm -hmm. it's just a replacement for something that doesn't need a replacement yeah that's what a lot of people are starting to look at in terms of values is you know this is this is that was then this is now you know we don't need to be sticking to that kind of thing because it's old-fashioned but the reason the, the thing that i see at least is that the reason those values persist the ones that your family has my family has and so many others is because they are always applicable. Um, you know, I'd say your family standards on a lot of things might be considered outdated, right? But mm-hmm. you're successful yeah. by modern standards, right? I mean, you have a stable job, you give back to causes, you care about things like that. Mm-hmm. So did your values fail you because they were old? Yeah, I would say absolutely not. And yeah. I would say the same for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's kind of something that people don't really pay as much attention to as they should because they think that things have to keep on changing to stay current. But in a lot of ways, they don't. I mean, like you said, yeah. the Constitution has been changed a handful of times because on the whole, it was pretty good. It doesn't need to be changed right. you know, every five, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, a parallel that I kind of draw sometimes uh, that I found funny um, but also true is you know, when you look at the fashion sense in the seventies, right? Oh, you can look at that. Go ahead. What's that? This is going to be interesting. No, no, I think it's a great point. Go ahead. Um, you look at like fashion back then, right? And like all the Ron Burgundy kind of stuff, you had people wearing suits that, you know, you couldn't give away at a thrift store now. Um, yeah. Mad Men. Yeah, yep. Things like that. And, but the thing is, if you were in the seventies and you bought a classical fitting Navy blue suit, Mm-hmm. You know, and you look like Ronald Reagan or Richard Nixon or whatever. Right. That, that would have fit in back then, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't have been the cutting edge, but that would have been standard. Now you look 50 years down the line, if you still have the orange suit, you know, the only time I've seen that in modern uh, culture is in Dumb and Dumber, which I think speaks for itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you still have that <laughs> fitting navy blue suit, you can still wear it today and you're still dressed like the president, right? Sure. Whatever regardless of what you think of the president, you can say you look like Trump or Biden, depending on which one you like. But um, yeah, just because something is traditional and something is consistent and doesn't ever change doesn't mean it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason why some of these things stick around so long because they endure even when the, the orange suits and the burgundy suits fall by the wayside. 
Yes, you, you don't you don't look like a uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer style creamsicle when you're when you're walking around and doing the, the the other thing, which is yes, very very. That, that's a great point actually, and I think in terms of in terms of that, I, I you know wanting to go and ex- expand on that a, a little bit more. So going back to your because I mean we are not the the reality is even though you know documents like Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. Uh, the Bible, all the things that we derive that people like us, and I think a good amount of people like us, because I mean, even though religion has been decreased, exp- or not exponentially, but a lot in the last, you know, 50 years, say, give or take, whatever, there's still a lot of people that are very religious. And they are, there are people that have really big love, love of country and love of family and all that kind of stuff. So it's not necessarily that, well, actually, you know, when you look at it from your perspective, which I think is correct, that those founding documents don't change. And those, you know, the church institutions don't change. And even though there's, you know, the Joel Osteen churches, if I was going to make a family analogy, it's basically the girl on Instagram who loves her family so much that she runs away to college, you know, comes home on Thanksgiving Eve, pukes her guts out, and then, you know, gorges the next day, comes back for Christmas, gets an Apple watch, and then leaves and does the same thing again, blowing her parents' money every weekend for like six months in a row. And, but, you know, that's not obviously what, you know, Paul and Peter, to your point, were wanting to do back in the day. Obviously, that was not what they envisioned when they created the church. That was not what the family, like they stressed, like, oh, my God, my family's everything to me, just goes and, you know, yaks up whatever on their couch. That is not the same thing as what they were intended to do. But the reality is that humans are not static creatures. We are meant to change and evolve with times over time. We are adaptive creatures. That's the one. I don't know if you if you saw or read the book, uh, The Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century by Brett Weinstein and uh, Heather Hying that came out last summer. Uh, it's a, it's a really good book. It's they're evolutionary. I don't know if you've heard of the two of them before, but um, they've been on, they're part of the intellectual dark web and they're on Rogan's podcast a lot. It's, it's, it's awesome. So basically they said, go ahead. I just said, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, for sure. And the, the core premise of their book is that kind of what you and I are saying that the process of change with technology, with culture, with everything that's been going on is just, it's just churning and churning and churning so fast that we can't even keep track of it anymore as human beings. And our brains can hardly process it all the time because to your point, it's not like, you know, it's not like the suit problem. That would be, this would be like a different color of suit is in every single day, like multiple times a day. And we're having to throw everything out, replace it with all this stuff. But they, the point of their book and the main thesis and the counter arguments that was that the superpower of human beings and why human beings, the dominant species biologically on earth is that our superpower as human beings is adaptation and that we can adapt quicker than any animal, faster than any animal. We can blend in better than any animal. We can adapt to new circumstances better, which I think in most cases, except for, you know, cockroaches who are apparently the only things that can survive getting nuked by something, by a nuclear bomb, obviously that can survive all this other stuff. Human beings obviously cannot do that. But do you believe that, it is important to change in ways with while keeping your values intact, it is important to change. And what do you think your relationship like is like both with your values and keeping up with changes? Cause obviously you don't want to live like a Luddite in, in stuff like that and do like the old things that are not useful to you and pragmatic to you in terms of interacting with the world while staying, still hang on to that. I'm very curious about what your insight and relationship is with that. If you wouldn't mind expanding. I think, uh, to be honest, um, I don't want to to be the stick in the mud, but no, I go really ahead. Up changes very much at all, um, at least the things that are important. Uh, obviously, there's you have to adapt things a little bit, you know, and and 
people like to point out, like with the Bible, it says, you know, you shouldn't be wearing clothes made out of two different materials. Like, okay, I guess I guess I'm in trouble then. But like on the whole, a lot of these things don't change because I think uh, you look at the, the moral codes that they're based on or things like that. And as long as it doesn't prevent you from functioning in society um, and, you know, not trying to sound like I'm, you know, the, the white knight or the, the moral authority or anything like no, that, but I'd like to think that I'm a fairly regular functioning human. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I have a job, you know, I have social relationships. Mm-hmm. People ask me to be on their podcast sometimes. Hey, uh, look, this is the first of many, my friend. I was going to say, you're going to get calls after this one. You're going to get calls by all the this yeah. negative seven people that watch this thing. So go ahead. I have to change my phone number for all the uh, paparazzi. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, when you look at people's ability to function, I think uh, in a lot of ways, the, the, the new values, so to speak, are more detrimental to surviving in society than the old ones are because I think society changes regardless of whether people want it to or not, like you said, but um, you know, if you're trying to follow all the trends and, and switch things up and, you know, trailing society, you're never going to be able to, to stay on the leading edge of that. So mm-hmm. having a, a rigid set of values that don't change, you know, you, you might get called, outdated or old-fashioned or whatever but at the end of the day people kind of know that you're uh you know you're the compass you're pointing due north every time doesn't matter what's going on around you they can look to you and they say well he knows what he's doing he's made the decision before the situation even comes up mm-hmm. so i'm not sure if that quite answered your question but no. i would i feel like there's a lot of times society and people in general try to encourage us to to make decisions that maybe we don't really need to make it's like well yeah oh very sure if it's your life for 2000 years i think it's going to outlive the next theory or the next philosophy or the next religion or mm-hmm. um when i say the next religion i mean the new religion um yeah or something yeah. i don't necessarily mean you know christianity is going to be replaced by something like that um yeah i, I think on the whole they really don't change a lot and it it's almost better that way because people know where you're going to stand on something because they know that you're not changing what you think about things. Yeah. And I think that's actually such a smart point because I think that, you know, and this kind of leads into my next question actually. So in my estimation that, you know, if I think a lot of people honestly misunderstand what values are, like, I don't think that like, you know, watching, you know, like, in my opinion, this might be a controversial thing to say, like you shouldn't value your immutable characteristics above everything else. You shouldn't value your, you know, your social, socioeconomic status in the social one. So you shouldn't value like your, your sexual orientation, your skin color, your whichever over everything, your gender over everything else, because that leads up in my opinion to a slew of problems. It has to be distilled to the individual. If you try to define the individual by the group, you're going to have a lot of problems because the reality is that even though you share some things like you share, you know, obviously white people are white people, black people are black people, men are women, you know, gay people are gay people, straight people are straight people, whichever you want to call it, but not all 
that, that is not a uniform thing where all white people or black people or Mexican people or whoever you thought or all women or men have to act the same because that's a very, very, like it, it's dangerous to do stuff like that in my opinion, to say like all of this group of this people, especially things that they cannot change should act the same way. That's like saying people that have cancer should act the same way. It's just a stupid thing to say in my opinion because you know all people take it differently at the individual level. So from my understanding of it, and the way I see it is that you have to distill it at the individual level based on what you can, what is comprised of individuality. So in my opinion, there are, when you distill it down that far, and this is where I think a lot of people get misconstrued because they say that they value something that is really not a value. Like a value is like authenticity or, you know, conscientiousness or hard work or something like that, or, you know, like, you know, beauty or femininity or something like that, that is taken very, very close and personal to you. And in my opinion, if, when you do it, quote unquote, right in the wise opinion of Sam LaCrosse with the negative seven podcast listeners, when you distill it down to that variety and that bare bones level, my opinion is that values are neutral. They're almost like tools in that case where it's like, you know, this is something that I value and I can either use it in a good or bad way. Like you can use a tool to either, like you can use a hammer to either put a nail through a wall or put a nail through someone's head if you really want to. So, um, do you think that there, do you think that I'm wrong? Do you think that there are such thing as bad values and good values, or do you think they're more mainly neutral and people interpret them wrong? Well, that's interesting. Cause I, I was initially going to say that I, the way I see it is not as much like a, a neutral thing with the flip side, but I guess kind of similar, almost like a binary, like mm-hmm. there's a value and then there's a lack of value. Um, oh, interesting. And I, I guess maybe part of that is based on the way that I think of things. I mean, I, I think of loyalty as a good thing, um, you know, and, and right. I guess it, it's probably blurring the line between values and virtues. Um, you know, if, if you're faithful, say, um, and whether in a religious context or not, you know, faithful, loyal, whatever, um, it's hard to make that a a bad thing. You know, I guess you could say, Oh, if you're loyal to a bad person or something like that, but then that Mm -hmm. goes, you know, well, you're breaking. So you're, you're having a lack of some other value. Um, Oh, that's, I don't know. I I guess I've always considered it as, you know, like I said, the right way to do things and the wrong way to do things. Um, The values are all having, having something or not having something, you know, and, and like on the flip side, something like, you know, being rude or being a glutton or whatever you want to take as a negative thing. That's, Mm -hmm. it's really the lack of something else. Right. Um, So I guess that that is a different way to look at it. And I I never thought of that. And I'm sure we could find counterpoints that would disprove both of us. Um, Yeah, sure. Yeah. I definitely think that that is a, I would say at least there's a lot of values like that, that, that are neutral, relatively speaking. And then, you know, depending on what side of the fence you fall, um, it can be a, a bad thing or a good thing from how you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. But on the whole, yeah, I'd say most of them are pretty binary. And I guess it's just whether you look at it as a neutral falling one way or if it's just, you know, there or not there. Mm-hmm. that's an interesting way of looking at it. I never thought about that. Yeah. And I think, 
Could, would you mind expanding on the values versus virtues element that you were talking to? Because I think that's very interesting. I, I want to hear your take on that, if you wouldn't mind expanding on that, because I, I, I actually don't know what you mean. So please explain. Well, I guess um, values, like you said, could be a negative thing um, in some ways, like uh, mm -hmm. going back to the Wolf of Wall Street example, right? Um, Jordan Belfort definitely had goals. He had ambition value, so to speak but he didn't have virtues um okay you know, he prioritized making money so i guess the thing is there's no such thing as a bad virtue right you can't say oh you know some of his virtues are he he's evil and he's a backstabber like mm -hmm. th those just aren't aren't virtues um yeah but i guess i think of values i kind of conflate it with you know having values is being virtuous um and i guess being virtuous is a value to me um if that makes yeah, any sense yeah i think that's probably where the lines blurred a little bit and maybe it's just because when i think of values i think of the positive ones but mm -hmm. at the same time like you said and like i just mentioned it's not necessarily that every value is i i guess then if we're going to really dig into the the dichotomy here um is a uh, are they values or are they what you value um oh because interesting in some ways I, I could see that you know values i don't usually think of values as being a bad thing but i can say you can value bad things mm -hmm. but I, i'd have a hard time saying you know hedonism is a value because it, it just doesn't sound right to me because it that's mm -hmm. not something that should be valued, yeah. at least to me. Yeah, no, I. it's a very interesting relationship, I think. And I've never kind of, you know, because values can. So where I thought you were initially going to go is that values can lead to virtuous activity, which I think they can. But you're kind of saying that virtue as a value will lead to even, I would say, more virtuous output on the other end of, you know, valuing virtue and kind of keeping that in mind with making all of your decisions and kind of saying like, okay, is this the, not to paint you, you or anybody else as like a quote unquote righteous person doing this, but is this the righteous, per, righteous thing to do in this kind of, you know, scenario? Should I be doing this? Is this going to serve the betterment of myself and my immediate people and my care, my family, my community, whichever this is going to be. And I think that's a very interesting thing because I think that's, you know, it's something that Virtue is something to aim at, right? In a lot of ways, because it's like, you know, you want to be a, to be a virtuous person, to be a good person, to kind of have that sense of you are all aiming at a certain target and you want to go up and hit it in terms of kind of getting, getting in, in some way, at least. So that was very, very interesting. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. I, I even say it's, it's funny that you were saying, what would a virtuous person do? Because that, that is one of the like common things that a lot of, shows up a lot in Christianity, right? The, if you've ever seen a WWJD, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Like, that is literally what you're explaining there is what would the ultimate virtuous person do? And yet, yeah, it right. can be a value for sure, in my opinion. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. I actually very much agree with you. And I think that I want to go back to the role models section and that we were talking about earlier. And so specifically with us in the terms of masculinity. So do you think like in... 
it could be your mother, obviously, because, but, you know, you were in a family of all boys. I had, you know, a brother and a sister. So I had a little bit more, you know, I guess, gender diversity inside of the, uh, inside of the household, I guess, with the, uh, the other thing, my mom was not as outnumbered as your mother was. So I think that, what do you think the role of masculinity is with the transfer of values throughout time? Do you think that it is, and this might be a Christian, you might derive this from a Christian sense. I think there's a way to, but do you think that it is, you know, what do you think the relationship between masculinity and the transfer of values and role modeling to people is? Because I think it's a bigger deal than most people make of it, especially right now with, like I said, the, the kind of the lack of ordinary men, male role models now, but I want to get your opinion on it if you have one. Yeah, I think that masculinity in general has been kind of just distorted so much now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's in a lot of ways, at least, uh, you know, online or in the media, it's been reduced to cigars, whiskey, steak, beer, a lot of just material yep. things that really don't have anything to do with being a man, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, uh, like you were saying, in terms of religion and, and family, especially um, just father figures, um, I think the father figure has to be present to really pass down those values. Um, and I would associate that to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, so many families are not as stable as they used to be. And uh, I think that's been a major detriment because especially for young guys, I mean, I know how uh, instrumental your dad was in your life and mm -hmm. same with me. Um, you know, I can say I wouldn't be here where I am if it weren't for my dad. And I know quite literally in some cases, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, in a literal and a, um, uh, you know, yeah, life perspective, metaphorical sense. Um, you know, a lot of those values need to be passed down. I know my dad's dad was very instrumental to him and I'm sure you could go back, you know, generations and, and find the same thing, but I think in general masculinity has been is falling victim to the same thing that so many other things have. And I think as people start looking for meaning in things through those uh, masculine role models, whether it's, you know, professor Peterson or, you know, Navy seal Jocko or someone that they consider to be the peak of a certain form of masculinity. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where that resurgence is coming back in because I think at some point people get kind of sick of seeing everything as just a collection of uh, material things, you know, masculinity is this femininity is this. And you know, like I said, at the end of the day, it's not whiskey and cigars. It's, it's about values and things like that. I mean, it's hard to really pass that stuff on, um, in my opinion, it's hard to pass it on through women just because it's, there's a different sense. There's a different relationship between men. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I, I love my mother and father, obviously, but it's a different relationship. Um, and I'm sure most people probably can uh, relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to me because, you know, I did not grow up in a traditional family where I had, a sister that was able to deal with, you know, the normal feminine, the quote unquote normal, you know, feminine issues. Cause my sister has autism. So I was like, Jackie was, she's obviously a woman and she does, you know, she likes, you know, girly things and everything like that. But Jackie was in the sense where she grew up around me and my brother 
So she was kind of like a bro in a lot of the senses. Like we watch cartoons and Sesame Street and whatever we still do all the time. And, you know, she kind of, you know, grew up around that masculine energy, even though my mother is a very feminine woman. And I think that, you know, it is, it is a different relationship though. It is a different relationship because, you know, and I think, it, I think, you know, if, if this were two women having the same dialogue right now, they would, if they were being really honest about it, they would say exactly the same thing. They would say the difference between a, you know, the relationship, like they probably get the majority of their values from their mother as they probably should in a lot of ways. Probably also be on the fourth hour of the podcast if you were too. Well, hey, yeah, okay, we're, we're getting you might you might get a, you know, a little label slapped on me over there. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead on mute for like another minute. But um, all, all, all good content though. Four hours. All good. Week, yes, this is this is great stuff. This is great stuff. I, I I love where this is going, and I think that you know it's it's interesting because and the the thing that you said about materialism I think is just is so so important. I something I've never thought taught talked about before. And I think this is another thing that goes back to kind of like the Wolf of Wall Street thing. That was all materialism. That movie is about materialism. It's about consumerism. It's about kind of all the other stuff. There is no, there is a lot of substance to the movie, but the movie itself is, and but the substance to that movie is basically go far away from valuing that stuff as core to your being as a man as possible, because people will just lampoon you for it at the end of the day. They'll kind of say like, oh, this is just you know, typical frat bro behavior, you know, going on yachts, you know, fucking girls, you know, gambling, making money, talking about cryptocurrency, like the whole, the whole thing or whatever, like, you know, doing, you know, whatever, stupid, stupid shit like that. And it, it's masculinity is not that it's so much more than that. And I think that now with kind of like the going back to like the cloud chasing thing earlier, it's kind of getting crowded out of them. Like they're getting priced out of the market almost because people are not searching for like it took Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willink like dropping a nuke on the world with two of the best books released in the last 20, 25 years to get people to pay attention to them that in, in the meantime. But there's still so much that is just so flooded with so many other things. And there you have people like, you know, Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and a lot of other people that are kind of doing all these things. A lot of comedians, I think, have this in a way, like a lot of the, the male comedians on the world, whether that be, you know, Andrew Schultz or Tim Dillon or Bill Burr or a lot of these people, they have that kind of masculine temperament and they can make people laugh with it. They're not shying away from all the complicated issues, but you know, it's a, there's a depth to it and there's a value to masculinity that is kind of beyond the lampooning aspect of everything that we kind of talked about throughout the duration of this conversation. And I think that going into the next thing that we had, we've both talked about this for a long time. And um, I think, the relationships between men and women are being affected by this too. Like the relationships in terms of, I think primarily dating, but in terms of friendships too. And in terms of, you know, maybe, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't have a sister who is very much into this stuff because Jackie is just not into that kind of stuff. But in terms of like, you know, when men and women are seeking one another for relationships, men and women seek one another for relationships because they want to date a primarily because they want to date a man if they are a woman or a woman if they are a man. And if men or, and women do not have those masculine or feminine values when they're, when they're seeking out, or the person, I should say, that, that person seeking out does not have those masculine or conversely feminine values, they're going to run into problems. And I think this is a major, major issue that we're having with a lot of people. And I understand that, you know, there can be, you know, there are women in the workplace now. Obviously, we're not living in the 1970s with the Ron Burgundy suits and everything. We're, there's no, there's thankfully no more Veronica Corningstones trying to break into news media anymore. We've got plenty of those now. 
So there is, you know, but there is a certain thing that is breaking down, I think, and this can go back to the family issue as well with men and women not being able to really relate to each other in the ways that they used to, in terms of men being traditionally masculine, men, women being traditionally feminine. And that's causing a lot. I know it's caused a lot of problems with me because I think, you know, me embodying some masculine traits and women are kind of like, you know, sometimes I think at least maybe I'm just have, maybe I'm just a bad, I have a bad hinge profile. I don't know. But, um, you know, when I go and I, I talk with people, they're like, you know, why are you like this? And I'm like, what do you mean? Why am I like this? Like, I mean, this is just kind of how I, how I talk and how I interact with people. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think there's kind of a, there's a, like those lack of values from a masculine and a feminine perspective are kind of affecting the ways we interact with one another, I think. And it's, it's, it's a problem, I think. So I'd like to get your feedback on that too. Yeah. I think it definitely has created a lot of problems because in a lot of ways, most people don't really stand for much anymore. I feel like, you know, it's everyone kind of likes the same things and, you know, you talk to a group of, 10 people of a certain demographic and they'll all say the same thing. You know, I, I love traveling. I love dogs. I love the office. You know, I love yep. tacos, you know, and you talk on the flip side and you'll say, you'll hear the same type of things. You know, I like sports. I like beer and it really doesn't tell you anything. Of course, people like traveling. Everyone likes vacations. Everyone likes a TV show. That's funny. Everyone likes, you mm -hmm. know, alcohol. Most people, um, <laughs> but if you don't have values in there, you really can't tell what someone else is like. I mean, you and I agree on, on a lot of things politically and mm -hmm. um, on a lot of the important things, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I can say a little bit to you about, you know, my political beliefs or um, how my family was growing up and, and how that's important to me or something and get so much more than, you know, a three hour conversation that we could have about movies or TV shows, because right. at the end of the day, the values are what's going to connect you. And, and going back to what I've been kind of saying the whole time, you know, the values that have held society together for hundreds of years, thousands of years, whatever the timeline you want to take is, there's a reason those values hold things together because mm -hmm. you can't build a, a religion or a country or an empire, anything based on a TV show that's funny, you know, or yeah. food or something like that. You know, those are, those are offshoots of a culture, but the culture is held together, held together by values. Mm -hmm. um, and then on a micro level between, you know, guys looking for girls or girls looking for guys, the end of the day, I mean, the reason your parents got married, the reason my parents got married, the reason most people's parents are happily married is because they do share those values. So mm -hmm. I think just going back again to what we were saying about how so many of those values have been degraded by our society and replaced by a materialism or, you know, a really superficial sense of what's important. Um, you have a really hard time connecting with people because mm -hmm. so few people have any sense of, things that are real, it's, it's almost just blind luck. Like you were saying, you know, is your hinge profile bad or what? It's like, well, the problem is, is that every single person has the same thing on their hinge profile. A lot of times if they don't have anything about values, because at the end of the day, they don't have values. And just because 
like I said, just because you like the same TV show doesn't mean that, you know, you guys are soulmates or yeah things like that. I, I think that's kind of where we've take we've replaced something that had a pretty proven track record in values and the things that people don't really like talking about outside of when they're drunk or at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and we've kind of replaced them with a bunch of things that uh, aren't, um, they're not discerning enough to really tell if you will get along with someone, whether that's as a friend or as a romantic partner or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think I agree with everything you just said. And I think that there, I mean, I, I actually didn't really understand, you know, until we kind of had this, or maybe I did, I just didn't really acknowledge it as much like the, the value of role models in the formation of everything that really has lasted throughout time. I mean, you go back to, you know, you said, you said empires. So, I mean, obviously I think of Rome, I mean, Rome, you had, you had Caesar and you had all these other people you had, you had, you know, all these other people that they looked up to and they had, you know, gods and goddesses and whatever, and they were not monotheistic, but they still had a lot. They had America, for example, you have Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson and John Adams, and Samuel Adams and all these people who we, and even like the, you know, the heroes of, you know, our current culture. I mean, the people we like, I mean, Jordan Peterson, Jocko Willink, all these people, even though Peterson's Canadian. So we don't, we don't talk about that, but um, it's, um, but we have, you know, there are things that are holding everything together. And I think that when, you know, you inadvertently destroy those things, or you kind of, you know, just disregard those things casually, it, it never ends well. What's that? You think it's inadvertent? Do you? Absolutely not. Okay, go ahead. Expand on it. Well, I mean, it's a lot easier to to have people think a certain way when they're not tied to anything, right? So if you yeah. take out a values that have made people resistant to something, you know, if I tell you up is down and black is white, not from a racial standpoint, just, you know, yep, from a, just a, a color standpoint. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's easy to, for you to say, well, no, you know, my, my belief system, you know, again, where that's your family, your religion, your patriotism will tell you, well, no, that's not right. That's, that's not the way things are supposed to be. But when they tell you your morals are relative, um, mm-hmm. your belief system is outdated Yep. Your family is unnecessary. Your religion is old and your country is not worth valuing. They can pretty much replace it with whatever you want. Yeah. Because then the popular TV show becomes the new religion. Mm-hmm. That, that's my two cents on that. I, I could go on for hours, but. Uh, no, I was, I was, I bet you can. I I was, yeah. No, all I wanted to say was, yeah, I don't think that the, the degradation of values in our society is, has been an accident by any means. So if it's not an accident, what do you think, uh, you might've already answered this, but what do you think, do you think it's just got people who want to, is it, is it power that people have, you know, kind of, you know, people that have just been notoriously bad actors and they want to take control away from those more traditional institutions and put them in their own institutions probably or new institutions, or, you know, they just want to kind of, you know, do the whole, you know, red October Marxist thing within American culture and just kind of flip everything or Christian culture you know, whichever you want to have it do, but what, what do you think it is? If you have an answer for yeah. that? I, I think it's kind of hard to say. I think mm-hmm. the big thing is if you're not tied to anything, then you can be led to anything. Right? Yeah. Going back to your earlier uh, Malcolm X experience, mm-hmm. I think he, one of his quotes, you know, whether it was 
um, spuriously attributed to him or not. But if, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for everything mm-hmm. or something along those you're, lines. If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for nothing, I think is the, I think is the quote. Is that him that said that? I've seen it attributed to him. Um, I think that was the first time I saw that quote is where it was attributed to him. I don't oh, know okay. if he actually Interesting. said it. I don't know that. Was. Realistically, it's probably way older than him. I mean, the, the concept is there, though. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, if you look around, there's a lot of people who can make a lot of money off of things if people don't if people will go along with what they say, you know, I mean, you look Mm -hmm. at the amount of money that some people have today with no physical possessions, right? All these software guys, crypto guys, things like that. Mm -hmm. They have a ridiculous amount of wealth and, and that's kind of just how our society has gone. And again, not to get too far down the rabbit hole, but there's a lot to be made without really having, you know, a lot of concrete things anymore. Mm -hmm. So Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you can get people to to give you money, essentially, you know, buying your product or, you know, subscribing or whatever it is, um, you know, it's a lot easier to do that if they don't have something telling them no. And like I said, making that decision before you're in the situation, um, it, it's uh, it's easy to see how people can benefit from there being a lack of values in society. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's interesting you bring that up because I think it's, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, I think I just lost my train of thought actually, but you know, I, I think that's very, very accurate. And I think that there is kind of a, there's a meaning that comes along with that. I think that's what you're getting at at the end of kind of doing something. And I think, you know, so, oh, oh, this is where I was getting to. I, I remember a couple, it was when I was doing my, my critical gender series in the blog and and the podcast a couple weeks ago, check out the podcast. if you have not listened to it yet. Uh, so I was in the section where, so I, I don't know if you either read or listened to it. Um, I don't know if you did or not, but basically I did a three part series in January. So I did basically, it was, it was looking at gender from kind of, you know, the male perspective, the female perspective and kind of a perspective on truth. And in the second one was the male perspective. And I said, you know, I was at a happy hour with a lot of my, my work colleagues and people that I work with and a lot of people. And again, this is, um, I got in trouble for work for saying with this or whatever, because some anonymous person got offended by my anonymous post or whatever. So I don't really give a fuck anymore. But um, I basically said at the end of the post that, you know, men have been so like, we have just not protected our masculinity enough. Like we haven't protected it. Like we've let it to your point degrade and to get down and worn down to a little nub. And so I say to your, your, your point about, you know, you know, these, these crypto guys, these tech billionaires, at least people that work in tech, like me, like I work in tech, I, I don't you know, code or anything, but I, I sell the shit, but I don't make it. I'm not smart enough for that. But, you know, how many of those guys, if you were to walk up to them now and tell them to change a tire, how many of them do you think you could do it, could do it or paint or, or go and, you know, fix a fence or put a lock on a door or do something like that or, or change the oil in their car? Like, I think that there's a real problem with that because like men are increasingly becoming useless. We're becoming very, very useless in terms of society. Like at least women can give birth. Like, like they have that. They are responsible for continuing the population of humanity, which is the most important thing that I think humans could do. Continue the species, have a legacy of humanity. But men are pricing themselves out of their own market. And it's very, very concerning. And I think that when you do not value that as a core part of your identity and who you are, it's easy to degrade it. And it has been, 
So I think that's, I, you know, I, in response to that, that's kind of what I was thinking and kind of this thing that I've been thinking about a while. It's like, and to my own detriment, like, I don't know how to do a lot of those things. I want to learn. I just don't know how to do them, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. And, and I'd even go a step further. Um, I wouldn't even say sometimes we've let them degrade. I'd say in a lot of cases, the sense of masculinity has just been given away. A lot of people don't even want it anymore. You know, they say mm. it's almost like you said with your immutable characteristics, they're like, well, I, I can't help the fact that I was born a man any more than the fact that I was born in the U.S. or that I was born white or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. no point in having any pride in that or any uh, associate any value with that. Um, and I guess that kind of I guess I'm sort of disputing your point about immutable characteristics being important because I think in some ways they are. Yo, no, I, it, I'm not. I'm not saying that they weren't important, but I'm saying when you value a like when you value being a white person over being an individual white person, that's a problem, I think. So I, I don't know if that was what you were getting at, but that was kind of the point I was. Okay, yeah. So I, I guess it was. There's a. There's definitely a difference there. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people just don't. They don't see any difference in that. They say, well, right. You know you have to be strong to change a tire why can't a woman do it too and, and of course a woman can change a tire um mm -hmm. but but i know that's not the point you're making is that yeah all guys should know how to change a tire it's it's the idea that there's a purpose and I, and i think that goes back to you know i guess the whole basis of my argument of values is there is a purpose to things you know we're not just mm -hmm. you know meat sacks on the yeah. flying rock base like people some people like to say you know and it's tongue-in-cheek but at the same time you know if you're going to be a nihilist about all this stuff then what's the point what are you, what are you wasting your time around here for um yeah yeah so yeah there, there's a lot of very important things about being a being a man um and i think it's it's wrong to write that off and say it's not an important thing you know there's no difference between me and someone else between a man and woman anything like that and mm -hmm. you know not to get overly political about it but that's what i think the the basis of it is there's there's a purpose mm -hmm. it's a purpose to being a man yeah i i agree with that completely and i think that there you know it's there's a purpose to be like there's a purpose to being there's a reason why you know every human being is valuable. Every human being has value. I, I think at least unless you deliberately go against it and try to harm other people's value, then I don't think it, it holds much anymore, obviously. But um, so going off of that, I want to hit on the last thing I want to talk about kind of on an unrelated note. So Pete, you are, like I said, you're a very smart person. You're a very, as people can probably tell from this conversation already, very smart person, worldly person, educated person, disciplined person. But when I FaceTimed you, I don't know when this was. This is probably about, I would say, six, six months ago. And I remember, you know, you said you, you kind of you, you, you tapped out on me in the last minute. You said, like, you know, Sam, last minute, like, I got to you know, go do something. I'm like, OK, that's fine, whatever. And so you, you called me on the one or we FaceTimed on the one day after. And you said, Sam, I was out because I had to like a, a semi truck. You can go into this like a semi truck fucking exploded on the highway like five minutes by your house or whatever there's a massive fire and i had to go put it out i'm like well pete you're an engineer like why are, why do you have to go put that shit out he's like well i'm a volunteer firefighter i'm like when the fuck did you do that like that's fucking amazing like that's awesome and so i was so like and i don't know if i ever asked you this but like 
why did you decide? And I know that, that, you know, a good th- a thing that you may or may not value is, is service. And I'm sure that's a part of being a Christian. That's a part of being a stomatist. That's a part of being a lot of other things. And I value service too. That's kind of why I do all the volunteering that I do and everything, but what compelled you to do that? Cause that's such an interesting thing. Like I've heard of a lot of people like doing a lot of interesting shit. I've never heard someone do that before. So please go into that if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So I, I guess it kind of started back um, when I was interning um, over the summer between uh, freshman, sophomore year. Um, and I was working with a guy who was a volunteer firefighter. And I thought that's kind of interesting to me because I didn't realize that volunteer firefighters still existed. I thought that was, I know, like, I know. I thought it was like something you did in like the 1800s when buildings, when the streets were made out of wood. Like I thought that was, yeah. Like, yeah. Cause it, it was a totally different world. And yet, volunteer firefighters are only you know the most rural of communities or things like that yeah. and i looked it up and i found out i think it's somewhere like 70 80 percent of fire departments in the u.s are volunteers still really um, and it, it makes sense when you think about it right because you know austin fire department detroit fire cleveland fire mm-hmm. is one department and yeah. you know there in the next biggest city is 80 cities um so it makes sense that more of them will be volunteer. Um, but a lot of departments have stayed volunteer even as times have changed. So mm-hmm. the department that I'm part of is the biggest volunteer department in Michigan. Is it's it really? Wow. It's got 150 volunteers and um, like the chief and fire inspector, fire marshal are um, full time. That is their job. Uh, but every firefighter at the stations, all the lieutenants, all the captains and the assa- uh, assistant chiefs are all volunteers. Um, and I guess the city started growing and they kept getting volunteers. So uh, they kept it up. Um, so I will say we don't run medical calls, which is a, a big difference, but mm-hmm. there are departments that do uh, Fairfax County outside of DC is the biggest volunteer department in the country. And they do run medical calls and it's, absolutely massive um so it's really interesting to see that and i think kind of touching real quick on values about Mm -hmm. um you know american values i think service has always been a very american value people want to thing people want to help out so you know even a department like mine that's got 150 volunteers is a good thing but when you look at something like what fairfax has you know and, and I'm sure Jamie could pull up the numbers on how many people they got and everything, but you know, we're talking thousands of members, hundreds of calls a day, things like that. Um, but anyways, sorry to, to diverge so much. No, for sure. Um, no, no, definitely not. I, I love it. Yeah. I, I found out that um, a lot of fire departments volunteer. Um, so when I moved up to Detroit, um, at the Metro Detroit area, uh, I was looking at, the city that I was moving to and I looked into it and I saw, oh, well, they have a volunteer department too. So, you know, being uh, new to the area and especially moving during COVID, there wasn't a lot else going on. I said, this would be a pretty neat thing to get involved in. So I went through the Academy and everything and uh, became a volunteer firefighter for the city. And it is neat because it is a all volunteer department. Mm-hmm. Like I said, outside of the top leadership. So, it's not like an auxiliary thing or anything. So yeah, when, uh, when we were supposed to talk, um, earlier and that was in uh, mid July. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
tanker truck, fuel tanker had exploded on the highway. And um, it was a, uh, it ended up being a pretty long day. It was, I bet it was, that was the longest, uh, longest incident that I had been a part of. I think it ended up being about 10 hours. Um, and it, when you spill that much gas and diesel, it, it's a hazmat. Oh, oh yeah. Well. I mean, that's, um, it, it, it was interesting, but it's kind of neat to see, you know, you have, 40 some volunteers showing up from three different stations in the city. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone's there because they want to be there. Um, yeah. No one's getting paid for it. You know, they know they got work tomorrow and things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I've always liked volunteering and yes, yeah, service has been important thing too. Um, every kid wants to be a firefighter. Um, some people still want to be firefighters, even after they get older. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of fun too. I mean, Know, driving the 50 foot ladder truck through red lights and using the air horn and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's, it's an exciting uh, thing as well, but the mm -hmm. service aspect was, um, was a big thing. And, and I guess going back to how I've always, uh, I've stuck with the values because they've served me well. Um, the opportunities that the fire department's given me have been very good to me as well, because um, like I said, starting, a new job in a new place with COVID. Um, I made some really great friends through that. Um, I've developed a lot of skills and a lot of um, special certifications and things like that through the fire department, which ordinarily never would have had. Um, so it's really given me a chance to expand outside of the typical engineering things. You know, most people think of engineers and they say, well, you know, you're probably staying at home playing super Mario in all your free time, but you know, it's, it's something to do that's, actually has some purpose to it um mm -hmm. it, it's i said it, there's there's some fun things about it too and good friends and good times and things like that but um i think yeah a lot of people who are there are driven by the the service and the volunteering aspect of it is you know you can set aside the hours for your real job and then you know be on call the rest of the time so it's it was just something that uh I guess the opportunity came and uh, I was smart enough at least once to, to take hold of it. So it's, it's been a really great thing. Um, I'd encourage anyone who does live in a place that has a volunteer department to look into that because it's, it's been very good to me. Okay. Well, I was going to say, you're probably going to have a, a young Jamie some uh, sometime soon as well. And with that, I think uh, Pete, I'll have to thank you for coming on, man. We'll have to do this again sometime. And, you know, I, I really appreciate the insight. I always enjoy talking to you, brother. And I think that it's uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot of, you know, it's going to be so cliche, a lot of value out of this conversation. So uh, I know you just spent the last hour and a half talking about values, but I mean, they're going to get a lot of value out of this, I think. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure to have you, man. And I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. Um, it was a lot of fun talking about this stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, and with that, everybody, uh, see you next week on the day. Open your mind. Have a great one, guys. See you later. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?